0: Well, as we continue our sub-series of coming out of Ephesians and looking at what is the church and what does church membership look like, and most recently, what does uh, the leadership of and the and the, the ministry oversight of of the church what does that look like? Well one of the things that we have to continue to understand is that our only truth, the only thing that we truly know to be right comes from God's word. We mentioned this before. We we have tons of examples of what a leadership structure would look like, you know, whether it's in sports, whether it's in, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, uh, there's other religions, but that's, that's not what we're drawn to. We should be drawn solely and wholly to what God's word says to us. Um, it seems as though you know there's like like breaking news within the church. You know um, that you know what I, I I guess blasphemy's okay, adultery's okay. I mean you're in America, coveting certainly okay. Um, there doesn't seem to be any rule. Uh, barometer on sin, but that's just not true. That's classic fake news. Uh, that comes from the church. How is this coming from the church that we're, we're erasing v- very clear standards, biblical standards? We're just we're just taking them out. I mean it's no different than you know some of our politicians now that we we can see it happening in real life, they literally just do what they want to do, they make up their own laws they break laws it's it's heartbreaking, but even more so when you see this happening within the church and within the individuals in the church, uh, we just see this all the time now people just do what they want to do and And then somehow try to justify it or explain it. I can always find a book. I mean, it it sounds ridiculous to say that idolatry or blasphemy or adultery or coveting or stealing is okay. But, you know, I I can find Christian books that will say that. Uh, We can find pastors. We can YouTube and find them that have essentially uh, no standards, no biblical standards. It sounds just like the world. I mean, the postmodern era is, you know, there is no objective truth. There's no objective truth that has found its way and is thriving within the church. And so if there is no objective truth, then you have your own truth. You make it up. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in counseling or, you know, when there's problems and, and people are like, well, th- that's the way I see it. You know, it's, you know, I know my truth, right? Uh, well, your quote unquote truth doesn't matter. We, we want to be here to follow God's way. And when we're looking at the church and, and why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Um, how do we worship? How do we actually function? We want to know what God has to say. We don't, we don't care what the world has to say we don't care about the world's critiques about this meeting what what is God saying and God gives us and gives the church a very clear definitions a very clear outline of the uniqueness of members the uniqueness of God given roles They're, they're great roles they're important roles there is no lesser role, and yet the world uh, tries to uh, create, you know, elevations of, well, why is this so important? Um, so who do you trust? Are you, are you going to trust God and God's Word? Are you going to trust the world? Um, I think of examples. Like there's a, you, know, you know how I love marching bands, college football marching bands. And even though it's not USC, Ohio State has a tradition in their marching band. It's kind of cute. You know, as they're marching and they spell out Ohio State, if you think of a marching band, you think of like the the climax of the marching band. You think of like uh, the most important person. Do you think of a tuba player? And yet the tradition with Ohio State is they have this tuba player. They have tryouts every year for the tuba player. And you have to be athletic. These guys like have to run down the field almost falling backwards with a giant tuba. Why? Because the the, the pinnacle of, of, of the marching band is this guy runs out and he dots the I. And so when you see the marching band and it's like a cursive, right? They march and it spells out Ohio. And yeah, there's an I in Ohio. And he runs out and he, and he dots the I. How cool is that, right? It's like it's an I. He's a tuba player. That's his role. It's special. Why? It's because Ohio State Band says so. That's why. Well, you know what? God has his roles, uh, his standards. Um, it, it's, it's, we've mentioned this before. It's like that, the, the orchestra and, you know, putting that big orchestra together. And, and it's like there, there is no most important, you know, the percussion, right? Um, is the percussion more more important than the, no, we, we, we don't want just like all drums in a band, you know, the trombone actually brings a, brings some specialness to it. So today we come with the, the big question. We've been, you know, studying this last couple of weeks, we looked at, at the men's roles, we looked at the women, and here's the big question. Okay. So why can't women preach? Why can't women be pastors? That's not fair. I don't like it. That's not the way the world works. Well, one of the things I I want to point out is, what is, by the way, the most essential, noble role there is in life? Is it dotting the I? No. So what is it? You think it's more important to be, you know, a, a pastor or a mother, a mother who's also a wife, who's also the one who bears children, who's also the one that raises the children, who's also the one who who gives them their character and, and the one who establishes actually a home. There's nothing greater than that. Uh, so what's your purpose? You know, if you're a woman, if you're a female woman, what is your purpose to be a CEO? You could do that tomorrow. Just go file with the state. You'll be a CEO tomorrow. Cracks me up. The complaints about the lack of female CEOs. It's not that hard to do. Start your own company, be a CEO today. Um, You know, what's your purpose? Wealth, fame, be a great actor that everybody knows, an amazing athlete, I mean, you have to ask the question who, who are you? Who, who are you? I mean, most people male or female are not famous actors, athletes and multimillionaires. That's just not the way it is. You're not a job title, right? It's like you meet people. Hi, hi. My name is Rick. I'm a plumber. You know, I'm Rick, the plumber. You, that, that's not who you are. That's the job that you do. Who you are is the character, the, the life, You know, are you the one that actually makes the home? I I love the title homemaker. It's amazing that the feminists hate that homemaker. It's like, you know how important a home is for, for those of us who grew up not in a home, a traditional home. um, You ache for that. You, there is no greater desire than to have a normal, life where you could come home to a mom and a dad and a cooked meal, um, cleanliness. These are beautiful things, nothing more noble. And by the way, there's no lack of work as a homemaker, right? I mean, sorry, but there's no bonbons and you know, they canceled all the, all the, uh, soap operas. So you gotta get back to work now. Um, this is, not, this is not an issue of importance or value. It's not an issue of importance or value. I met a family a couple weeks ago and their daughter's on the, on the rowing team at, at the University of Washington. And, and I've watched some documentaries on rowing and rowing's pretty fascinating and, and a pretty interesting thing. But the key to rowing is you gotta work together as a team if you don't work together as a team, so you got some guys that their specialty is making sure it's balanced, right? So you don't want the tipping and rocking back and forth. You need it balanced. You also need some guys that they steer, right? They steer. And then you have some that are just the power. They're the engine. They're the power. Now, if everybody was the same and everybody was like, you know, the steering wheel and the right turn guy, then they would just go around in circles. Right? I, I remember Caleb and his baseball team, they went out and, and got in the boats and some of them and they did some races, you know, down, down there at the UW and some guys just went in circles. <laughs> Whoop, Couldn't figure it out. It didn't work together as a team. God wants us on a clear, straight path, his path. You go on his path, you'll have a beautiful ride you'll have a beautiful life. You go on your path, you might end up in circles. But how do we get here? I mean, how, how are we here? I mean, we, here's the Bible. It's written for us. It's clear as a bell. How, how have we gotten here? One of the things that you may notice in social media, and maybe a lot of you aren't involved in social media, but social media is a, is a very interesting social experiment. It's an experiment. We've, we've never had this dynamic before you, you with zero competence, no competence at all. uh, No training, no, no studying, no experience, no skill can say whatever you want online to millions of people. And maybe if you're pretty or something like that, millions of people will follow you. It's crazy. It's, it's insane. You're, you're given an equal voice. You can be 13 years old and be sitting there on your, you know, typing away and you know, having debates with grownups who are doctors and experts and skilled people in fields. But you know what? Keep talking. You know, the noise just gets louder and louder, but the, the ignorance is there. It literally facilitates and promotes and rewards lazy thought and narcissism. It's all about me. Me, me, me. How many followers? How many likes? I mean what a crazy it's like not only do you have a voice, which you shouldn't, but then people like it. Oh I like what you said. Even if it's meaningless dribble. But if we don't default to God's word, then we're like social media. We're just will spiral into whatever the latest trend is. Again, this is what we're seeing in the church. So you know what? You can have a church of 5,000 people, a people that have spiraled into, well, we like what you're saying. It, it, it facilitates my narcissism. And I don't like certain things in the Bible and you don't like, so great. We can all come together in this special, club now where we take out of the Bible what we don't like. We've not relied on God's wisdom. We rely on yourself. And so instead of like Colossians 2.28 where it says, look, we're to come to present every man complete in Christ, we actually have now developed a process where, hey, it's okay to be incomplete. Just be narrow-minded and have your own narcissistic you know, self me esteem view. And that's okay. No. And and by the way, just to be crystal clear, there's no place, there's no place in the Bible. There's no place from this pulpit for chauvinism or, you know, discrimination or sexism or feminism. Well, we're here to be biblical these are all human terms intentional to attack a position that that you don't like. Well, if you can throw a label at, at it, well then right away it's marked as, well, that's bad. I don't want to be that you, you haven't defended your position. You haven't explained the position. You haven't used a biblical position. You just throw a term out there. That's chauvinistic. Well, who wants to be chauvinistic? Um, well, I want to be biblical. So today we want to unpack um, the woman's uh, bib- a, a biblical perspective of, of the woman's role in the church, in life, really. And there's three things that we want to look at. The, the God-given appointment. There's a God-given appointment for women. Uh, we, we want to look at the, the debate. We want to look at this debate uh, and we want to look at the, the historical foundation. We want to look at the Old Testament, and just take a look at at some of the the confusion that may, may be out there. look i, I, I don 't have a, a personal agenda other than one following god 's word that 's my only agenda is to follow god 's word. Um, i 've been blessed. you know my, my mom is, was a very successful business person. She had a very successful business. She ran it from the home. And so the idea that women aren't talented or gifted or can't do th- throw it out the window. That's, this has nothing to do with our conversation. What is involved in this conversation though, is we are in a culture war. This is a, a direct assault on the family, it's an even more direct assault on God. What's being, what's being said in this whole argument is God doesn't know what He's doing. Don't trust God. Don't follow God. Follow this other way. And, and it's our role and our job to say, no, no, no. You know what? We lack an understanding. We, we don't really understand everything. So let, let's just follow God's script. God has a playbook. God has His Word, the Bible. Let, let's just follow that. So, things like homosexuality or transgender or being promiscuous or divorcing, listen, all of these fall under the rules, the guidelines, the statutes of the Almighty. And any attack on these things is a direct attack against God. Take it up with Him. Listen, it's His band, it's His marching band, it's His rules. If he wants to dot an I, he dots an I. Um, And so what's happening now is there's all these attacks. There's all kinds of foundational things where now are just being ripped out of the Bible. Well, you completely undermine God's law that way. And this isn't a political issue. Um, It shouldn't be a cultural issue. I, I know in America it's a cultural issue, but again... Remember, guys, America is not the only place that matters. Right? I mean, we talk about this a lot. There's a whole big world out there. We're not the only ones in it. We're not doing that great of a job. Um, it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. Women are not lesser. Not being a teacher isn't lesser. How many of you are pastors, preachers, and teachers? So it's not a male-female thing, right? Because anybody who's not, if you're a male, I guess you're lesser too. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what we've been studying? No, it's not true. It's a false narrative. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. So we want to look at the first appointment, a God-given biblical standard. First, I want to start with uh, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, pretty familiar with most of you. Let me read through this just to establish some context. Proverbs 31. This is written almost 3000 years ago. So if you think the Bible has something against women, the Bible doesn't esteem women, the Bible doesn't praise women. You're just flat out wrong. There's nothing that exalts women more. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her. Who doesn't want to hear that? And he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like a merchant's ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night. And gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. And from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out until night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle and she extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity, are her clothing and she smiles at the future. And she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her saying, my daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is be- is deceitful and beauty is vain vain, but a woman, Who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Again, when we look at who wants to be an excellent wife, who wants to be an excellent woman, who wants to be praised by children and husband, what does that look like? Here it is laid out. There's nothing here about being an actor, about being an athlete, about being a politician, about being a preacher. That is not the most important thing you can be. It's just not. Um, This is somebody who's organized, enterprising, super busy, smart. She's a spiritual anchor. I mean, an excellent wife who can find she displays various gifts 1st Timothy turn with me to 1st Timothy 3 We looked at this last week 1st Timothy 3:11 looking at the qualifications of elders of deacons of women verse 11 women must likewise be dignified not malicious gossips but temperate faithful in all things It's about character. You want a great life? Be a woman of character. Um, Titus 2. Turn back with me to Titus 2. Titus 2 goes on and gives a little bit more details. Titus, two, Titus two, three older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much not wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. And so here we see again a, a picture of what that looks like. Just a a couple notes. If you've got dad and he's off and he's a a, a farmer or a fisherman or today, whatever could be various vocations. He's off out of work all day. Who's raising the kids The school, the street, the TV that's not working out so well. Somebody else is raising the kids. Somebody who doesn't love Jesus. Somebody who doesn't follow the, the word. Somebody who's not only postmodern but directly teaching the opposite of everything you believe. Um, so maybe it's a good idea if mom is around. Or what about women teaching women? You know, one of the things that, as a as a pastor, as a leader of organizations, I I, I can't be behind closed doors. That that's not appropriate. And so we have to have open doors. We have to have windows. We have to have accountability. Well, you know, what's also really helpful just having coffee at somebody's house, right? Well, that would be more appropriate for an older woman and a younger woman, an older woman who knows exactly what you're going through because she's been through that too, as a mom, as a, as a, um, a wife, as a sister, Maybe as a business owner, as a worker employee, she's done it all too. She understands, she gets it. God understands and gets that too and says, listen, th- this is a-, a great role for women to minister to women. It's a fabulous role. Um, it's a role to be, desire to aspire to. Well, back to 1 Timothy 2 which is kind of our anchor passage first Timothy two says, well, but there's restrictions here. There's a restriction for, for women in the role of life. We, We saw in Proverbs, she does just about everything under the sun. Now, again, you don't have to do all the things that the Proverbs 31 woman does, right? That's not a mandate. Okay. That's just a lot of the things that she does. Um, but look at first Timothy chapter two, there's, there's restrictions. There's a limitation. What is it? Verse 11. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with all or entire submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So here's the, the one restriction. It's actually a half a restriction. Women can teach. They can teach other women. They just can't teach men or exercise authority. Here's a great question. Why? Why not? Do you know how many times in the Bible we come across things and it's like, well, why not? (laughs) And it just doesn't say it. Just don't covet. You know, Just, just don't steal. Well, nowadays, all those things are challenged. Why not? Why not? Why not? Well, some things we just don't get the answer. We do here. We get, we get two answers. So if you have that question, I want to know why women can't teach. Well, verse 13, it was Adam who was created first and then Eve. If you can go back in time and have Eve created first and Adam, well then you can change what this reason is. But you can't. This is the way God established it. It's the way God designed it. Um, if we look at the, the Hebrew, for, for what man in the Hebrew is, it's, it's ish. It's ish. And then the, the female form is just ish and then continued of that word, ish shah. Whoa, man, woman. When we read that, we see well, out of man, out of his rib, comes Eve. Right? So we see a, a separation. And then what happens in this beautiful thing we call marriage? Two become one. So what is God saying here? Is God really creating like the, a, a war of the sexes, a battle of the sexes, that the man, because he's created first, is so much more special than the woman when really in his intent they're to be one and united anyway? So that can't be right. So this is just a a, a role, a position, not not something of greater or lesser. Um, It was Adam who was created first. That was God's design. And we'll look later at Ephesians 5 and how that works. And number two, the second reason, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived. So if you can change what sister Eve did in the garden. Well, then maybe we can start talking about women preachers and, and pastors. But again, we can't, the reason isn't what's happening in 2022. The reason isn't because well, women can vote now. The reason isn't because of talent or gifts or feminism or anything along those lines. God established biblical authority, beginning with with the man. And then the wife is the, the helper. And she's the helper as their one. It's a beautiful picture. Only corrupted by sinful man. Um, It's a a terrible tribe. And by the way, who gets blamed for the sin ultimately in the garden? Adam. Adam gets blamed for the sin. So, again, we're not putting women down. We're not putting even Eve down. This is a team effort. This is a team thing. Let's not make it into something that it clearly is not. Last week or two weeks ago, we studied what what an overseer is, and First Timothy three one. And just you know, again, for some who weren't there, the the overseer is a man who aspires to the office. He does it, then he is above reproach. He's a husband of a wife, right? He, he, him, him, husband. These are all in the masculine. Form, So there should be no confusion that an elder, a pastor, teacher is a man The word for that is uh, Presbyteros, which we get Presbyterian from Presbyteros in the New Testament appears 60 times. Okay. So what about the female elder? What about the female pastor? Do you know how many times Presbyteria appears in the New Testament? No times. Because that's not a role. That, that, that's not a female role. It's not to be a pastor-teacher. A lot of ever, other, other things, just not a pastor-teacher. God has appointed for women, back to Proverbs 31, the most noble, the, the best role that there is. Mom, wife, homemaker. The The fall of our society and our culture all comes out of the breakdown of a family, all of it. We're not going to go into great detail, but families that are quote unquote traditional, or I like to say biblical, um, are doing a lot better. And look, I, I understand that there's uh different unique things that happen, right? I mean, there's widows and there's divorce and there's a lot of different things that happen, um, that we have to navigate and 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 do the work around with. But this is God's standard. God's standard. The appointment is God has given women a an amazing, beautiful, biblical role. That's better. It's better than pastor teacher. It's better. Well, the second debate or the second. Um, perspective that we want to see here is and understand is the debate. The, the debate, debate comes out of sexism. It comes out of an argument for, for feminism. And ultimately, the debate becomes, if you don't think that women should be pastors and teachers, then you're a sexist. It's like, whoa, I don't want to be a sexist. I don't want to be a, a chauvinist. I don't want to be anything like that. So, okay, let them in. Well, that's just not what the Bible teaches. Um, and so we 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 kind of have to take a step back and, and look at look at our, our hermeneutics, look at our understanding of God's word. Is this really let's take a second look again. I know we looked at First Timothy three, I know we looked at First Timothy two, but I mean is this really what the Bible's saying? But here's where we start with our interpretation of the scripture. It's that, that key difference between eisegesis and exegesis. Eisegesis, I want to find in the Bible what I want to see. Exegesis, this is what the Bible says. I read, follow, and obey. And so what's happening now is there's an awful lot of eisegesis replacing direct standards with conjecture. Replacing direct standards with contextualization, which is, well, that's not the way we do it anymore. So again, you look at things like like being pure before marriage, right? Well, that's not on the table in the world today. So do we take that off the table because the world says that that doesn't matter? Of course not. The Bible's crystal clear on that. Crystal clear. So there's a couple, a couple terms that have infiltrated the church again. Whenever you hear these terms and you go, well, "Where does that come from?" It's not in the Bible. That should be your first indication that this is probably not right. So there's two terms I want you to understand. Two really big arguments in the church. One's called complementarianism. The other's egalitarianism. Um, complementarianism is the idea that that men and women have different but complementary roles. Different roles, but they complement one another. That, that sounds right, you know? Um, and, and so we, we see that throughout the Bible. We see that there's different roles. And I'll, and I'll get to that in, in a second. But it's the idea of, of like, if I wanted something smooth, if I wanted to smooth something out yesterday on the on the back door, The door is a metal door. Well, we want to paint it. So, so what do you do? You, you take this and you, you sand it, you get something really, really rough. So it's the really, really rough on the smooth and the rubbing of the rough and the smooth together with the sandpaper that ultimately will produce the smooth. That's a, it it complements one another, the opposites, right? The opposites attracting kind of a thing. And so that's the idea of complementarianism. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 22. 1 Corinthians 12, 32. Beginning of verse On the contrary, remember, we, ju- we just went through and we covered this last week, last couple weeks. Just got through talking about what the body of Christ looks like. Uh, let's start at verse 14 for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I'm not any, a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole, we're hearing where with the sense of smell be, but God, but God, but God, this is God's program. This is God's way. This is God's word, but God has placed the member of each one of them in the body just as he desired. Not you, not the world. Verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 22, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemingly members become, come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemingly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. There should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. We, we like to rank jobs and tasks. One of my favorite jobs uh, at the Bible Tabernacle, a place I used to preach is in Southern California is really a a homeless rehab um, recovery center. And when I would go there on Tuesday nights and pull into the dirt parking lot, I I, I just, I loved pulling in. I just get a great big smile. You know why? The parking lot was raked and you could see the lines of the, the raked parking lot. That was some guy's job. He raked the parking lot. And what may seem like not a big deal, let a parking lot go with no raking or weeding for a while and see what happens. We've got before pictures. Okay. (laughs) A lot of weeds everywhere, right? I wish we had a rake guy. Um, becomes a pretty important thing. Then we don't need tractors and people and, um, there's no, what seems to be not important is. What seems to be silly, a tuba. Could, could, can't even imagine a tuba being cool. And it's like the, one of the coolest things in all of marching bandom, right? Dotting the I. Well, God's clearly saying here look, there shouldn't be any division in the body, shouldn't be any division. How important is the coffee person here? Yeah, we we're, yeah, pretty important, huh? Um, some of you probably take the coffee person over me. Um, well, complementarianism, we're, we're all part of the, the body. I like my legs. I like my toes and my fingers. I, I like it all. I want it all. Well, egalitarianism is this secular term that, again, has infiltrated the church and there's debates and arguments like, look, there shouldn't be any gender-based roles. That's the argument. There shouldn't be any, except for one problem. There is. We just read it in first Timothy chapter two. And like I said, it's, it's, there's not like 30 things. Okay. Women ready? Take out your notepad. We got 30 things that, that you're restricted from, by the way, Many, many men are restricted from preaching and teaching, right? We just went over those qualifications of an elder. first, Chapter 3, verse 1. He, he, anyone who aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work, but he must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the... Listen, there's restrictions for everybody. Everybody. There's... Different roles, restrictions, gifts. None of them are more important. None of them are more important. Um, We've got to stop thinking that way. It's a secular way. It's a a secular argument. It's not a a godly one. There's always limits. There's limits in sports. There's limits in in all of leadership. Wherever you go, there's there's limits. Some fields require skill and degree. Some don't care about the degree. They just want the skill. Some just want the degree and don't care about the skill. They get to choose, right? That company, that organization, they determine what they want. So if you want to work there, you do what they want. But we've allowed these non-biblical worldly, you know, feminists generally it's a, it's a satanic agenda. We, we talked about this last year. It's not biblical. It's not Christian. It's not Christian. It's not pro-family. You, you want to find a, a collection of the most miserable, angry people in the world? Go find a bunch of feminists. They look real happy. And you want to say, hey, how's that working out for you? Um, not, not so well. God has a very high view of women. Re- read the scriptures from beginning to end. Read them. They're heroines all over the place in a time where women weren't even talked about. The idea that Mary Magdalene would be the first to to go and see Jesus and talk to the apostles and that they would write that that down as a historical record is unheard of because that's what the world thought of women. They were nothing. And we'll see in a minute that the Bible has always esteemed women um, First Timothy two fifteen says they will be blessed in bearing children. Well, there's a lot of things that happen in building, bearing children, getting married, birth, raising them, mentoring them, and then at some amazing time you get to ride off in the sunset and watch your kids have kids. It's a beautiful thing. What, what a what a what a great story. What a great story. The Bible has been, is, always, will be ahead of society. The Bible's not behind. The Bible's ahead. The Bible's ahead. If you want to go and follow the way of the world, you're going backwards. You're going backwards. Um, Well, the Bible's always shown women having cover and protection and honor, nobility, nobility. The third, third perspective we want to look at is now this, this foundation. Okay, so we have some questions. There's, well, well, we've seen different roles throughout the Bible. Uh, we've seen the, the role of a prophetess, right? Well, what does that mean? What is that? Well, remember the role of a prophet, male or female, was the role of, of God giving a special mission or a special service or a special uh, word or special role. These were typically very, very temporary. And these were not in any way, shape, or forms teaching pastoral ministries at all, male or female. Remember, the Old Testament had priests and kings and prophets. These, these are not pastor-teacher roles. Um, their roles, their special roles, but they're not pastor teacher roles. And so women did have uh, some of those roles. We did see uh, uh, Exodus 15, 20. Miriam as a prophetess. We saw in 2 Corinthians 34, 22. Huldah was a prophetess. We see in Isaiah 8. There is an unknown prophetess. prophetess, uh, prophetess. Joel 2, 28. Acts two seventeen, 17. There, there will be future prophetesses. Um, it's not an issue that they can't be a prophetess. But what's that role look like? How many male prophets do you see in the world today? Name them. So I don't know why we're shocked that we don't have a bunch of female prophetesses when we don't have any male ones either. Some call that dispensationalism. We're just in a different epoch of time where we just don't have... Prophets like that anymore. We don't have priests rolling around anymore, right? We have Jesus Christ, our high priest. We have God's word in print. We don't need the prophet to bring us two sentences of the word of God. We have the whole scripture of God that teaches us, corrects us, trains us so that we can be righteous. Well, what about Deborah? I always hear Deborah, 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 Deborah. Hey, Deborah was cool in Judges two, four through five. Deborah's cool, but she's a judge. The title should give it away, judge, not pastor, teacher. I'm not a judge, <laughs> so I, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't look back and go, well, how come I'm not a judge? How come that's not my role? Right? It's that ear and the eye thing. A judge was a very special person that God rose up from Israel to use as a judgment against their sin. Again, another temporary gift. And God used a female, Deborah, but she wasn't a preacher teacher. That that's, was not her role. In the New Testament, we see several examples. We see Priscilla, Acts 18, 24 through 26. She brings the message to to her husband, but it's informal. It's private. It's not public. It's not preaching. It's a role. It's a great role, but it's not a pastoral role. But we see here's a perfect example of Priscilla helping share with her husband. Does that sound familiar? The wife is a helper to the husband goes all the way back to Genesis, the beginning. That's a key valuable, Part of the teamwork, of how they work together. But she's not the pastor teacher. Phoebe, very, very clearly, Romans 16:1. Phoebe is a deaconess. That's in, in the Greek, there's no defiant. that is what her title is. She's a female deacon. Oh, yes, you can have female deaconesses. Now we only see one in the whole New Testament, which again tells us, well, this wasn't something that was really prevalent, but you can have female deacon, deaconesses. What did we see was one of the main differences between the male elder and deacon teaching the male overseer. The male elder was able to teach the deacon. That's not his role. He's in a servant's role. Um, we went through that and we went through the, 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 Greek of that. That is by definition, what a deacon is, is a servant. And so that doesn't again, cry out that, that women in the new Testament that had awesome roles were, were preachers. They, they weren't, we see Phoebe, I already mentioned Phoebe, but we saw Anna. Anna was another prophetess in the new Testament. What did she do? She fasted and prayed. She wasn't the pastor of a church. She, she didn't preach to men. Well, what about, well, there's n- neither male or female, right? Neither Hebrew or Greek, male or female. Doesn't that mean that, that male and female are the same? The context of that is spiritual. The context of that is salvation, <laughs> not, not roles of, of leadership. That's it's male and female can both be saved. Uh, Hebrew and Greek can bo- both be, be saved. Barbarians can be saved. We're talking about salvation, not the roles. Um, Well, what about, well, the only reason why women uh, weren't allowed to teach back in in the early church days was they didn't have any education. And neither did the men. (laughs) They're all ignorant. (laughs) The only men who had any formal education would have been former Pharisees like Paul, because they would have studied the, the Hebrew, the apostles didn't know how to read and write either. And they didn't have this book, which is unfathomable to understand how did they live? How did they make it without, without this word? Well, turn with me to Ephesians five. Uh, last couple years, I've had a great opportunity to spend a lot of time in Ephesians with premarital and weddings and, Ephesians 5 is such a a rich and and beautiful passage, and it's a great reminder of, again, it goes back to your kind of our foundation of what is a woman's role, because that really should be our question. What does this look like? What is God's picture? Ephesians 5.22, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Okay, right there is where we get into trouble today, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Why? Why? Because the world hates that phrase. And unfortunately, the world is taught the church to hate that phrase. It's sad. It's crystal clear. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Um, well, why? As to the Lord. You're not being subjects to your own husbands. You're not slaves to your own husbands. Okay. Husbands, you're not a male chauvinist. Forgive me. Pig. Uh, we'll go through this. Why? Cause she's not being submissive to you. She's being submissive to you as unto the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife. They don't like that. Right. But hold on as Christ also is the head of the church. Well, what does that mean? He himself being the savior of the body. So one of the roles as the husband is, look, I have to look upon my wife and family as the savior, right? As the savior, spiritual savior. What what does that mean? But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their own husbands and everything. Husbands. I love the transition here. because it's like right when maybe you're getting upset about this whole idea of wives being subject to, To your own husbands, it's like, but before you get crazy here, let's lay this out for you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And if you're confused and gave himself up for her, this is where we get the idea of women and children first, right? Is you know what? Women and children come before yourself. Does that sound chauvinistic to you? To be willing to die for for your wife? But even more than that, verse 26, that he might sanctify her. There's a spiritual role of headship to sanctify your wife, to minister to her, to disciple her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Young married guys, you have God's word to help you. Disciple your wife. It's not you discipling your wife. It's God's word. Verse 27. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Your role as a husband is to make your wife spiritually pure. That's a lot of accountability there, right? That's God asking you to do the ultimate thing. Disciple your wife. We're, we're, we're stewards as parents. This is a temporary gift. Our, our job is to disciple our children as a husband. This is a temporary gift with your wife that you have an opportunity to present her back to God. No spot, no wrinkle. You don't defile your wife with anything. What she sees, hears, does. She's to be holy and blameless. Verse 28, So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own body loves himself, but no one has ever hated his own flesh, but instead nourishes and cherishes. Wives, you have somebody whose whole devotion is to to cleanse you spiritually, to uphold you, to nourish you, cherish you, die for you if he needs to. Does this sound like a chauvinistic tyrant because we are members of his body. This is what Christ also does in the church and we are members of his body. This is all part of God's plan for this cause. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Again, we we don't have this picture of division and separation, right? It's, it's, the two become one flesh anything else is a biblical distortion and a lie mm-hmm. and unfortunately we hear a lot of lies outside and inside the church mm-hmm. you know the big issue again goes back to why can't we preach why can't we be pastors and I was listening to Elon Musk and he made a statement and Somebody asked him, you know, oh, it'd be great, you know, to be you, have your mind, have your money, have your this and that. And he looked at the guy interviewing and goes, you don't want to be me. You, you don't want to be me. You, I, I can't sleep. I can't stop thinking. I can't be satisfied. I can't. And it's like, you, you don't want to be me. You know, you think you want to be somebody else's spiritual gift, right? Somebody else's role. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Um, it's not the ultimate thing. I, I think I mentioned before, if, if I could have, you know, a, one key spiritual gift that I got to pick, it'd be healing. Right? I could walk down the road and anytime you saw somebody hurting and distressed, crippled, blind, in pain... Hang out at hospitals all day. They come rolling people in off a cart, right? Bam, bam. That'd be phenomenal. You can keep teaching. I want to heal. Um, there, there's other things. L- loving people, raising somebody, raising a baby child to love the Lord so that they spend eternity in heaven because of the investment that you made that's paying off. We were studying this past week in our men's group, uh, John 3.30. I must decrease so that God increases. This is all part of the biblical understanding of, of our role and who we are, not before each other, before God. God is telling us in all these different various ways, humble yourself and follow me. Decrease yourself and increase me. His way is the best way. So just submit to his will. Submit to his word and it will be better. I promise you. We know in 2 Timothy 3 1 through 5 that in the end, near the end times, men will be lovers of themselves. That's men and women. We just love ourselves. We just. You know, have egos and we have our narcissistic, hedonistic viewpoints. The postmodernists love to be lazy, over-emotional, and all these things just constantly lead to division and divisiveness. Why? Because they lack any kind of self-control or any kind of selflessness. The idea of do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but the humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. That's anathema for a postmodernist. No, it's me, 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 I, 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 now, now, now it's disgusting. Women have an amazing significant role throughout the scriptures, throughout home, the church, Learn it. Understand it. Be devoted to it. Follow it. And you will be happy. Unlike the miserable feminists. Why don't women preach? Because the Bible says so. That's why. Because the Bible says so. That should be enough. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, today, And forevermore the argument for why women don't preach was yesterday, Adam and Eve. The today was first Timothy two. the forevermore is us. Now it's the same constant message. It doesn't change because we live in America doesn't change. Let's pray Lord.